Well, I am continuing this morning in my sermon series called Meeting Jesus. I've been looking at various interactions that Jesus had with individuals in the Gospel of John so we can learn more about what it means to know and follow Jesus. And this morning we're going to be in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. This is the account of Jesus at the tomb of his friend Lazarus interacting with Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. And so it's a long passage, but I'm going to put it up here on the screen so you can follow along if you do not have a Bible with you. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, Are not... Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews (coughs) had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now... God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, By this time there's a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you have always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. 
When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. This is God's word. Let me pray before we continue. Lord, thank you for your word. Open our ears, open our hearts to hear and to understand what this means. May you be glorified in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's a long passage, but I think it may feel relevant to some of you. When you look at the question that both Mary and Martha ask of Jesus, they ask the same question. Lord, if you had been here, it's not a question actually. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They recognize that Jesus had the power to save their brother from death, but for some reason, he did not intervene and he let him die. Losing a loved one is about as hard as it gets for most people in this world. There are many things that are painful to go through, but certainly losing a loved one, especially if it's a tragedy like this one, is particularly difficult. Many people I know have traced their falling away from faith to the death of a loved one that seemed to them particularly unjust, unfair. They don't understand how any good and loving God could allow something like that to happen. They conclude that no loving God could ever allow such a tragedy to happen. And my hope is that as we look at this passage, we can gain hopefully some understanding, some insight, some faith to help us to go through times of trial like this, that we might have a deeper faith in our great and compassionate God. So Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus is sick. And then for some strange reason, it says, he stays where he is for two more days. And by the time he arrives, Lazarus has died. And both sisters come and they say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even the other uh, townspeople who were there seem to echo that sentiment. They say, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? They recognize that Jesus has some sort of power from God, but for some reason he did not intervene and he allowed this man to die. So where is Jesus in their pain? Where is God when we lose a loved one? How can a God allow these sort of things to happen? And there's two things in particular we see when we look at Jesus' response to Mary and Martha about where God is when we lose a loved one. Look back at his response to Mary first in verses 32 to 35. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. So before he even goes to the tomb, he sees Mary weeping and the friends and family weeping. And it says Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled and he wept. And that weeping is not just a boo-hoo kind of crying. If you look in the original Greek, it's this kind of like bellowing, angry crying. It's an angry sort of, of, of weeping, not just a, you know, boo-hoo. Why is he crying? Especially, knows, especially because he knows that he has power over the situation. He knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. But still, he weeps. Why is he weeping? I think he's crying over the grief of death and seeing how it affects the people that he loves. Because he knows that it was not meant to be this way from the beginning. Right? When God created this world, death was not a part of it. It was not meant to be this way from the beginning. It's a result of the fall of 
of our brokenness, our rebellion against God. That this pain, this suffering that comes from losing loved ones was not part of God's original plan. And it causes him to weep as he watches the men and women he loves so much weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. Where is God when you lose a loved one? Where is Jesus? First place he is is weeping alongside of you. Weeping alongside of you. Because that tragedy that happened to you was evil. It was not meant to be God's plan from the beginning. Because death is an enemy. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy. It's not just part of life. It's an enemy. It's an intruder into God's good world. And it caused Jesus to bellow with anger and weeping, watching Mary and those that he loves broken down in tears at the death of their brother. He doesn't just stand there stoically and say, you know, heaven needed another angel. Just be thankful and praise God. He weeps with those who weep because it wasn't meant to be that way. The first place that Jesus is, the first place God is when you lose a loved one is he's weeping alongside of you because it was not meant to be that way. And that means that we can weep as well. We don't need to put on a happy face and pretend it's okay and rationalize, make sense of it. Sometimes it's okay just to weep, just to cry, just to let it all out. One of my favorite books on grief is by Nicholas Wolterstorff. I think he either is or was a professor at Yale. His book, Lament for a Son, was about processing the tragic death of his son, Eric. And in one chapter, he writes this. He said, I skimmed some books on grief. They offered ways of not looking death and pain in the face, ways of turning away from death out there to one's own inner grief process, and then on that, laying the heavy hand of rationality. I will not have it so. I will not look away. I will indeed remind myself that there's more to life than pain. I will accept joy, but I will not look away from Eric dead. It's demonic awfulness I will not ignore. I owe that to him and to God. And in another place in the book, he says this, I lament all that might have been and now will never be. I mean, there's, that's part of the grieving process. That is part of dealing with the intruder that is death, is recognizing that it has cut short a life, all the things that will never be because of that. C.S. Lewis wrote a book when he was 42 years old called The Problem of Pain. And it's a book that we quote often uh, in sermons, especially this line where he says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. This book is just a great classic on pain and suffering and how God often allows pain to happen to wake us up to our need for him. But then 20 years after he wrote this book, his wife died. And he wrote another book called A Grief Observed. And it's a lot less neat and formulaic if you ever read the two books. The book he wrote when he was 42, like, it's just a philosophical masterpiece. But then when he's 62, it's just his writings trying to make sense of the death of the woman he loved so much. Some of the things he said in that book include this. Not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not so there's no God after all, but... So this is what God's really like. Deceive yourself no longer. And then he said, What do people mean when they say I'm not afraid of God because I know he's good? Have they never even been to a dentist? 
there's many more quotes from that book, but I love the, the contrast of a man who kind of can lay it out philosophically about making sense of death and pain, and then he goes through the loss of his wife, and all the philosophy in the world can't keep him from the grief and from the pain, from struggling to make sense of God and, and understand how God could allow this to happen. And so again, the whole Bible, including John 11, encourages us, just let it out. It is okay to grieve. It is okay to mourn and wail and cry and not make sense of it, but to just cry out to God. Bernard of Clairvaux put it this way, Oh my God, deep calls unto deep. The deep of my profound misery calls to the deep of your infinite mercy. It's a beautiful line. Jesus knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, and yet he didn't just put on a stoic face and encourage everyone else to do the same, but he entered into the grief of his friends and wept along with them with a bellowing kind of anger because this is not the way it was meant to be. And he wept along with his friends at a life cut short. And he calls us to do the same. I want to encourage you. Sometimes you just don't know what to say when a loved one loses someone they love. You don't need to try to make sense of it, explain it away, anything like that. You just need to weep with those who weep, as it says in Romans twelve fifteen. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Sometimes you just need to weep with those who weep. You don't need to try to make sense of it. Joe Bailey, who wrote a book about the death of his three sons, in a book called The View from a Hearse, he said this, I was sitting torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly. He said things I knew were true. I wished he would go away. And finally he did. Another came and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour or more. He listened when I said something. He answered briefly. He prayed simply, and he left. I hated to see him go. Where is God when you're hurting? Where is God when you've lost someone? Where is Jesus in the midst of that? The first place he is is weeping alongside of you. And he gives you permission to just weep and not try to make sense of it all. And he calls us to weep with those who weep. But that's not the only place that Jesus is. If that were the only place God is, I mean, great. You know, it's comforting to know that God weeps along with us, that it wasn't meant to be that way. But we still need hope beyond that. Look at his response now to Martha. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Again, if Jesus was just weeping along with us, if we knew God was weeping along, that might bring some comfort, but it doesn't solve the problem of death, does it? It doesn't solve the fact that the person we loved is gone. But the second place that God is, that Jesus is, says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's overcoming death. And just to prove that he has power over death, he goes on to raise Lazarus from the dead in front of their eyes. Death, even though it's an enemy, has become a defeated enemy so that those who die, it's like falling asleep and waking up in the arms of God. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57, 
when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Where, O death, is your sting? It's lost its sting. It's lost its victory. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life and has overcome the grave. And so Paul can say in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. He says, yes, we grieve. It is right to grieve, to wail, to mourn. But we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's conquered sin and death. And those who die, it's like falling asleep and waking up in the arms of God. I mean, think about when you go to a funeral. Especially when it's someone who's died young. How many of you find yourself at peace with that being the end? Don't you rage against that? Don't you say, this is so wrong. It should not be this way. There's something in us that knows that it's wrong, that knows that death is not meant to be the, the part of life. That death should not be the end. That there should be life beyond the grave. There should be a reunion. That death should not have the final word. That longing in your heart is not an accident. In Ecclesiastes, it says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. There is a longing in our hearts for eternity, for reunion that death would not be the end, that there'd be life beyond the grave. And that is the truth of how it is because Jesus is the resurrection and the life and all who believe in him will live even though they die. And I think there's also a hope at death, not just that death would not be the end, but also that there'd be meaning and purpose in tragedy, that it wouldn't just be meaningless. I mean, that's one of the tragedies of atheism. In a world without God, there's ultimately no meaning You can try to create whatever meaning you want, but objectively, there's just no meaning. There's just no purpose. There's just death, and then in the end, you'll be forgotten. And then eventually, the world will be destroyed, and this will all be for nothing. But death is not meaningless in Christ. In the case of Lazarus, it said, When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. There's going to be a purpose and a meaning in this death. Because of Jesus as the resurrection and the life, we know that he's always working everything together for good for those who love him. Even death, even in death, he can take evil, tragedy, and bring good out of it. How does he do that? Look at the rest of this passage from John 11, 46 to 53. After he raises Lazarus from the dead, this is what happens. Some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. The Pharisees were, of course, the religious leaders. They were not fans of Jesus. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. 
this Caiaphas, this religious leader, unwittingly prophesies that Jesus, he says, it's better for one man to die for the nation. You know, just let it happen. Not realizing that what he's prophesying there is that, yes, Jesus is going to die, and he's going to rise again to conquer sin and death, so that death will not be the end for all who believe in him. So where is God when it hurts? Where is God when tragedy strikes, when you lose a loved one? The first place he is is weeping alongside of you. Jesus wept. Even though he knew that there was not going to be the end for Lazarus, he wept because he knew that it was not meant to be this way. The death is an intruder. It's evil. It's an enemy. God weeps alongside, alongside you. But secondly, he's not just weeping alongside you. He was on the cross, dying in your place, and now he's resurrected, ascended to the right hand of God in heaven, overcoming sin and death so that all who believe in him will not die but have eternal life. And so I want to encourage you this morning to trust. Even when you don't understand, even when you're bellowing in anger, even when you're shaking your fist at God and not knowing why he would allow such tragedy to happen, I'm encouraging you to trust. We don't have a God who's just far off, but a God who came near and died in our place. He knows death. God the Father knows what it's like to lose a son. He's overcome death and the grave. Again, go back to the beginning of the story. Remember what he says to the disciples? Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. He says, I want you to believe. In other words, there's greater depths of faith that you don't have right now that are only going to happen if I allow him to die and then raise him from the dead. You already know that I can heal. You already know I'm powerful. But now I'm going to show you that I have power over even death itself so you do not have to be afraid anymore of the grave. That's why I'm staying back for two days and I'm going to let him die. So that you might have a greater depth of faith. Is it possible that somehow in God's timing, in his seeming absence, that somehow is it possible that he wants to teach you something more meaningful, something that you don't already know, that he wants to somehow deepen your faith in a way that you would not have if he just answered all your prayers? Is it possible that this God who is greater than our comprehension could have a plan greater than our comprehension as well? That he can even take death, that enemy, that tragedy, and bring something good out of it. Remember Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Elizabeth Elliot, who lost two husbands in her life and many other tragedies, she put it this way, God is God. If he is God, he is worthy of my worship and my service. I will find rest nowhere but in his will, and that will is infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. Jesus says, listen, it's for your own good that I'm not going right now because there's greater depths of faith that I want to bring to you. And are only going to happen if I allow Lazarus to die. Jesus doesn't just weep with us. He overcame sin, death, and the grave. So that we don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I think that sums it up pretty well. That's what he wanted to teach them. That by his death, he would destroy the devil and set us free from fear of death. 
do you know that your God is a suffering God? He's not just a God far off. Again, as Nicholas Wolterstorff wrote, I didn't put it up there, I guess. He said, put your hand into my wounds, said the risen Jesus to Thomas, and you will know who I am. The wounds of Christ are his identity. They tell us who he is. He did not lose them. They went down into the grave with him, and they came up with him. Visible, tangible, palpable. Rising did not remove them. He who broke the bonds of death kept his wounds. In my living, my son's dying will not be the last word. But as I rise up, I bear the wounds of his death. My rising does not remove them. They mark me. If you want to know who I am, put your hand in. Our God is a suffering God. He kept his wounds. Even after he rose again, he kept his wounds, the reminder of his death for us. And so let me end again with these words from 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 14. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Amen. Let me pray, and then we're going to come to the table and celebrate communion together. Jesus, we thank you that you weep alongside us when we undergo such tragedies, when we lose loved ones. And we thank you that you have overcome the grave, that you died in our place, that you are familiar with suffering and unjust death, but that you overcame the grave. God, I pray that every person here, every person that hears this message would put their hope, their faith in you, because you are the answer to death, to life beyond the grave. All who live and believe in you will never die. We thank you for that promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.